Okay, so hello and welcome back to Intuitive Journey with Desiree, and I am Desiree Holmes-Cherini, your host, and I am delighted today to have as my guest Robert Beatty. Uh, he is a friend or acquaintance, I should say, and I'm growing into be a friend as we've been talking, and uh, he's the author of Tremors in the Universe, a personal journey of discovery with Parkinson's disease and spirituality. And I um, was making my way through his book, and you can see I have like lots of little papers here, uh, questions that I want to ask him and talk about. Um, and he uh, found his own personal journey and opportunity through Parkinson's and his attitude and upbeat, um, happy, spiritual side of him is really what attracted me to wanting to talk to him and I'd like to introduce you and he's right here waiting and I'd like him to introduce himself and go on into telling you more about who he is and what he does now. So welcome Robert. Thank you Desiree. It's nice to be here. Um, gosh, uh, I don't think we plan, you know, we obviously don't plan out the events in our life. And um, I was uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2012. And I tell a number of people that it changed my life for the better. Um, a lot of people have a hard time believing that. Mm -hmm. But um, again, I don't believe we can control the events in our life, but I do believe that we have the control over how we react to them. And uh, I was very fortunate to have my uh, own spiritual beliefs kick into play uh, at that time and brought me a lot of comfort with um, a time that could, uh, that normally presents a big challenge for a lot of people. And, I was going to say, you look really well, and I met you, what, about two years ago? Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you look great, and I know in talking to you that you really have been um, managing your disease, <laughs> what some people would call disease, with, with ease, with, with your um, attitude and, and intention setting. And I have to say, of course, as soon as we're talking, somebody else needs attention here. It's just jumped up. So if you hear little squeaky noises, it's just Puka, the, um, you know, scene stealer. So... Uh. Well, I, when I, um, the other thing with, in terms of my approach with uh, dealing with the diagnosis is um, the first thing that struck me was how um, we have a tendency to have expectations um, for the outcome of something like a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, most people haven't had an, any experience with a new diagnosis. And so as a result, we tend to put our expectations on the only things that we know, and that is other people's experiences. And I think there's a, um, an opportunity for people to do really a lot of harm to themselves by allowing themselves to believe that another person's experience is going to be theirs. Um, and I was uh, lucky to have keep a perspective that I could make this my own experience. And until it became something, it was mine to be in control of what it would become. Um, so uh, I think that 
that's a key message that I try and share with a lot of people that are facing challenges in their life is um, that expectations can actually be the harbor of uh, disappointment um, if you allow yourself to, to fall into that too heavily. Yeah, absolutely right. And I was just having that conversation with some people earlier today. Um, and I, I'm going to share a little something that I think you, you would appreciate, especially with your attitude uh, about your diagnosis, was um, my, my father had, in uh, July, had fallen and broken his C1 in five different places. Now, the C1 is the one that people break and either get paralyzed or die. Mm-hmm. And he was very lucky that neither of those happened. But he was told, he's 95, well, he's 94, he's about turned 95. Anyway, but um, he was told, well, you need to have your neck fused um, or you're going to have to wear a neck brace for life. And his attitude was, well, I'll, I'll try the neck brace, we'll see about that. And he set an intention that he would be out of the neck brace by his birthday, which is at the end of this month. And, you know, I'm like, well, you, you know, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had a follow-up on Monday, and the doctor said, you know what? You're, you've stabilized. You know, you, you can keep the neck brace off and wear it when you're in the car. Uh, and I, that his diagnosis was anything but. It was like, nope, you're, this is it. You know, you're, nothing's going to get better, and you're going to be in this. So um, there, there's a real-life expectation setting that he – made his decision and that's what happened uh, i love that you know a lot of times we make a decision that's not necessarily what happens but it's highly more likely isn't it that if we say well it's going to be like this i think when you and i were talking the other day the idea of like some people get out of bed and say oh life sucks i hate this mm-hmm. or you get out of bed and you say gosh thank god i'm healthy and i'm able to get out of bed i'm gonna have a great day <laughs> you know so I, and, I, and I think when it comes to receiving a diagnosis, that's the absolute first opportunity to begin healing um, is how you react to the diagnosis. Um, not only the chemistry that, that takes place in the brain um, in terms of po- the difference between positive thoughts and negative thoughts, mm-hmm. um, but... Um, Basically, I was going with the idea that that um, with the opportunity to heal at the diagnosis, I always tell people, you can believe the diagnosis, but don't believe the prognosis. Um, prognosis is entirely up to you. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, I think it would be a great service if, if a lot of our medical community um, were a little more trained in bedside manner in terms of, how the diagnosis is oftentimes delivered. Um, I think that is a key opportunity for people to start healing um, and how they react. Exactly. Um, I'm going, I'm going to pop open to, like I told you, I had all these little bookmarks. Um, You you talk about um, that on that chapter nine, George Carlin, heaven and hell and the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, I, you know, I found that um, title of that chapter interesting. Tell me about that chapter and, you know, what that meant to you. Well, that chapter um, speaks to my uh, 
life views on and my spirituality and my um, position with my view of religion. Um, George Carlin had a great line that he that I quoted in the book, and that is he says that religion is like a pair of shoes. Um, for some people, it helps them walk better, straighter, mm -hmm. and for other people, it simply hurts their feet. And that he didn't think it's our place to be going to third world countries and fitting people with shoes that they do not want to wear. <laughs> um, and what he captured in that, I think, is brilliant in that um, everybody's, however anybody finds their way to ultimately their own spiritual path and their, their level of finding peace in life, um, I think is to be respected. Um, everybody deserves to have their own way of finding their path. Um, I was asked when I wrote the book, I was interviewed um, for a magazine, and the interviewer asked in an early question, she said, I, I don't intend on publishing this, but she said, I'm curious what your definition of religion is and what your definition of spirituality is. And I said, well, to me, religion is following a path that someone else has already laid down for you, and spirituality is finding your own path. And that may be a combination of religious teachings. It may be a combination of your own belief systems that you bring to play. But ultimately, it's a formula that you create for yourself. And um, again, going to what George Carlin was saying, I, I think it's, it's fine if, if a person's religious beliefs get them to that place, then great. Um, but if at the same time it's a spiritual path that they've created for themselves, equally as important and equally respected. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. And uh, I think, you know, when I was going through there, I was nodding and saying, yeah, it's exactly how, you know, like so many conversations I've had with people. Um, uh, about like why one religion is wrong and the other is right or where why one person's going to hell because they didn't follow these rules or you know um and i've always had a hard time with that i think i think you may have even did you even touch on the idea yes in talking to your your mother i guess exactly and i had the same conversation about an ignorant baby that dies in another country that's never heard of a particular religion mm -hmm. um, you know, why wouldn't God, you know, if there's a heaven, why wouldn't God bring him to heaven? You know, just because he doesn't know this religion. So that, that's been one of my, you know, things. It's like for some people, religion means following the rules. And for some people, their religion can be a way to spirituality, depending yeah. on how, how they are inside their religion. Is it because they're following the rules or is it because they found their path to spirituality through that religion? And I think... You know, when I think about it, that I see that difference. And I understand you were raised, was it Methodist? Yes. Yeah, and your mom thought she I'm failed. First, <laughs> I have a very devout, um, mm. church-going mother yeah. uh, who honestly felt she was failing me the entire yeah. time that, that I was growing up because because I had questions. And um, I, I felt comfortable enough with my own beliefs and what I felt inside. And this goes to that, that, that thought of intuition even and that, 
there's a knowing. Um, for me, I, I, I refer to the voice that we hear inside as um, a spiritual knowing that exists within me. And I often say that um, it's not that we have a lot to learn about our spirituality, it's that we have a lot to remember. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe we're inherently given that blueprint of, um, of our spiritual nature that comes from our soul, and it's really more an awakening that happens. And, and I even bring that to when people use that term, uh, spiritual enlightenment or a spiritual awakening. To me, that's really more about a person just finally um, remembering that voice that's inside them and, 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 and connecting with that. And uh, that's usually when people really start to find their own inner peace. Absolutely. And, and as you're saying, like to remember and even ha having to forget what we're taught here. Mm -hmm. uh, because I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and, of course, the show being called Intuitive Journey, I'm very much about intuition. And um, as I mentioned to you, my own you know, journey, not to enlightenment, but my continuing journey was learning to listen to that voice and understand that there is something telling you something. And, and such a broad range of things our voices are there to tell us, anywhere from whether to turn left or right or, you know, to, to befriend someone or to hold back uh, all the way up to just, like you say, that knowing that we are part of somehow a, a bigger picture or there's, there's more than we, and I, like I say on my show, is that there's more than we know that can be seen. You know, there's more available to us that for whatever reason can't be proven or seen. And, that, that's one of the things that I definitely got out of your book and one of your strengths that is helping you. Because like we said, if somebody says, oh, you've got this disease and this is what's going to happen, you could just be laying on the sofa, you know, with the chip saying, oh, well, why bother? Um, but you have been, you know, carrying on and doing a lot. Um, let's see, I'm going to... Well, then we get to, I don't know why I put this one here, because it's more on that same chapter. But um, I, I had a fun time with this, putting all these little pieces of paper in here. <laughs> um, let's see. I, um, I had a list, and did I bring it with me now? Um, a hard pill to swallow was another page, chapter 12, that I had in here. Um, Oh, this was when you were, like, not sure about wanting to take the medication. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, we, we talk about that a little bit and, and your decisions around well, it. that came from, um, in all honesty, uh, a feeling that by, by actually giving in to taking medication, that I was somehow... Um, giving in to the belief that I had something that was going to be controlling my life. Um, but I actually worked through that period and um, came to a resolution with the medication in terms of uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, for Parkinson's, uh, what's missing is the production of dopamine in the brain. Um, so it actually is an, an actual deficit that exists no different than um, eyesight 
you know, having a deficit within your eyesight, and yet you have the ability to go and get a prescription for glasses to basically compensate. Um, and what I was afraid of taking medications for fear of it, uh, it um, acknowledging something that I had, um, it really became more important to uh, recognize that it is simply a deficit that exists within the body, and I had the ability to manage that through the medication. Um, and at that point, then I came to a resolution and, a, and an agreement for myself that um, I would proceed ahead with medication. Um, I've, in terms of my own involvement of things I've done, um, I fully support Western medicine and uh, uh, I believe God gives us the gift of knowledge um, yeah. for that to be put to use for us. Um, but I've also, in the process, I joined the Michael J. Fox Foundation yes. as a research participant. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't even 100% altruistic. Um, that was an opportunity to get a second opinion. Um, I knew that they were going to want to give me the same tests and the same uh, uh, procedures in order to determine whether I did have Parkinson's. Parkinson's oftentimes is misdiagnosed 25% of the time. Um, so I thought this was a great opportunity to get a second uh, opinion, and uh, everything came back positive with them as well. Um, so at that point, they had me 100% as, as part of their clinical trial. Um, but that also empowered me. It gave me the feeling that I was. Just before managing, I'm waiting to see what it would become on its own. Um, and and again, I, I I feel that um, people can take an active role in their life um, in in managing challenges, whether the challenge is a medical issue or whether the challenge comes in the form of a relationship, financial issues, a job, um, we can become active roles in, in managing our, our lives. Right, instead of just being the victim. A lot of times, exactly. yeah, there's yeah. a victim mentality that people will get sucked into and and, you know, nobody's like, I'm assuming nobody, you're not always up here, you know, you, like anybody, I suppose you have your days, I need to adjust this just a little bit because the sun's coming in. Um, and, but overall, to, to kind of pull yourself out, I, I'm speaking for myself here, um, as, I, as I'm sitting here in a um, post-surgery boot, and my crutches are over there, so I'm a little wah-wah, you know, but... I have a leg, you know, I have, there, there's that attitude that we have to keep reminding ourselves of is it's an opportunity. You know what? I, I keep saying I am going to be wonderful on those one-legged balances in yoga now because I've been hopping around on one foot and uh, it, it's, you know, there's my chance to get a different kind of workout. Well, um, you, bring yeah. up a, you bring up a very important point and that is um, in terms of, how we manage our lives and how we manage our challenges. Um, one thing I, I suggest to people and I talk to people about is learning to rewrite their story. Um, we oftentimes, as you said, we do take the victim mentality and we tell that story. 
over not, and over. Not only do, do we project that story to other people, but we do that with self-talk. Mm -hmm. we, we bring ourselves down by, by implying what the outcome is going to be of a challenge or situation. And so I, I do coach people a lot on um, learning to rewrite their story and that by simply taking and repositioning how you talk about the challenge can make the difference between you being in, in a place of empowerment or you being the continual victim. Yes. When you're a victim, you give all your power away. Someone That's else has the power. And, and you've, you know, with the uh, Parkinson's, from reading your book anyway, uh, it doesn't sound, yeah, did you ever, it doesn't sound like you ever, you, you came in with, like, this good attitude. It doesn't sound like you, you had to get out of that, so, woe is me. Maybe you, I think you said maybe you spent, like, three days or, or five days, and then you, you went snap out of it. Um, some people, it takes them a long, long time to, un we were talking about unlearning, unlearn the story they tell themselves, right? That, oh, this always happens to me. I never, I'm never lucky. I, uh, and, um, and some people, I think, choose to identify their identity is, is tied to their ailment. Mm -hmm. And, and that attachment, it, it, you know, they don't realize it, I think. So sometimes, you know, you were an example of not being identified as, oh, I have Parkinson's, that's who I am. And you even talk about that in your book. Can you go into that a little bit about how, you know, your mindset was? Yeah. It's funny. Um, again, that comes to perspective. Um, is a big uh, point for me. Um, I'm a designer by background. Um, I've owned and operated my own design firm for 30 years. And so imagination and viewpoint and perspective was a key part of my career and uh, something I've always had as a strength in my life. Um, as a small child, I remember... Um, on a summer day, laying in the backyard and uh, laying on the ground and staring up into the blue sky. And in my imagination, I would pretend that it, I wasn't looking at a blue sky anymore. I was actually looking at, a, at the ocean, and I was hanging on to the earth to keep from falling down into that ocean. <laughs> um, the occasional bird that flew by was a boat or a fish in the water, although Clouds were white caps on the waves. And after a while, I was able to convince myself of that perspective and of that vision. And that type of fascination with imagination stuck with me all my life. And it actually became a tool that I used in, in dealing with Parkinson's. Um, I kept thinking, what has really changed from one day to the next? The only thing that changed was information that I was given. The day before, I didn't have that information, and I felt entirely different. Mm. So if, if the mind was capable of altering um, my mood and my, my chemistry enough to start to affect my outlook on life, then I felt it was important to be in control of my thoughts. And... Um, 
So I've, I've been very cognizant about being aware of, of um, our choices and how we go about thinking from day to day um, and how we can control our perspective and keep that in mind constantly. That's an awareness that somebody and a practice that you actually have to put in place in order to deal positively with, with the challenges in life. Um, my doctors, when they gave me the diagnosis, I said, what, what symptoms can I expect? And they said, well, we really don't know because it's different for everyone. And I said, well, if you can't tell me what I'm going to have, then I choose to believe I won't have anything. You're going to become a better dancer. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so I chose to believe that path was the path for me. And uh, here I am seven years now into the, into the disease, and my doctors are saying, what are you doing? Because you're not progressing like the other patients progress. So um, I'm a big believer in, in mindset, in following your intuition, following your belief systems. And uh, miracles and, and amazing things can happen in life. They do. Now, tell me about your study. Now, is that study, you went into the Michael J. Fox Foundation study, and what was your experience with that? And that has finished now, hasn't it? Was it a five-year study? Um, we actually have wanted to extend it now with some oh. additional testing. Um, the original program was uh, I would go basically every three months um, have spinal taps. Um, you describe that in the book. That was, thanks uh, for like warning me off from that. Um, uh. Spinal taps, blood draws, uh, CAT scans, MRIs, um, urinalysis, uh, all kinds of tests, pretty much every fluid. And uh, they've now extended it and they're starting to take skin grafts and look for. Um, um, markers there. The program itself is is a search for a biomarker for Parkinson's disease, which is what would be needed for being able to make uh, definitive diagnoses as well as looking for possible cures or causes, which at present there is no known um, cause or known cure. So uh, the purposes of the study that I am in is for the search for a biomarker. Um, but it's, it's actually been, um, again, that was empowering for me. It was uh, taking an active role. It was giving back. Um, that was important to me. Um, that I, from a, a spiritual standpoint, it was important to me to feel that um, I could give it purpose. Um, that's another empowerment aspect is uh, in facing a challenge finding out what its purpose is for you in your life. As opposed to, I didn't believe that Parkinson's happened to me. I believe that Parkinson's happened for me. Right. And uh, that made a big difference in, in my approach as well. It, it's, and that is, again, like we're talking about attitude and perception, is when how people you know can listen to your story and rethink what do they think about when something quote unquote bad happens to them, they can, it, it's like you said, it's the same information. It's the same, whatever it would be, but they can say, Oh, this is an opportunity for me to test my patients for me to understand why someone else might be being someplace to understand my body better to, um, 
reach a higher level of spirituality, whatever the you know situation might be. Say, you know, when I'm when I'm stuck in traffic or something happens, I I say now I say, you know, maybe it kept me from being someplace where I, I didn't need to be. Maybe I'm being protected from you know the truck you know you know moving into my lane, or it's just meant to be. And something you did say. Uh, later on in your book is it is what it is that it, it is what it is and how I'm going to react is what am I going to feel worse about it or am I going to you know am I going to let that dictate because like you said it, it was what it was before you knew what it is <laughs> and um, you know you what, can, yeah. and what overwhelms me is that bottom line is it's a choice um, it's your choice as to how you want to view life. It's your choice as to how you want to experience it. Because um, I've had many people come to me and say, you know, well, you're always a positive person. Um, because I don't think it's, you know, they'll say, I don't think it's that easy just to be positive in a situation like that. And I find myself saying, yes, it is. Um, because ultimately, it's a choice. And um, it's like walking, being a small child and walking down the hall, which I wrote about in, in my book as well, and um, being afraid of the dark. Oh, yeah. It's, again, what stories do you want to tell yourself? What do you choose to believe? Um, you can choose to believe that there are boogeymen and that there are demons and that there are monsters in the room, or you can also choose to believe there are angels there. Um, we tend to, humankind tends to uh, fall into the side of fear um, mm -hmm. quite often more than the side of love. Um, and when you can root your belief in love and that there's a, uh, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, um, part of the big picture is that the universe does have your back um, and that the universe is not out to, to get you, um, then you can go through life again with um, what seems to be the harder aspect of being positive. Um, but it but it comes down to a choice, and it is a practice. It's it's being aware of your mindset. It's being aware of the types of thoughts that you promote for yourself. That self talk, and um, and when you can start to see yourself making decisions that maybe take you into a negative path, um, having the awareness to be able to change your perceptions and change your thought patterns um, can be a benefit. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, one of the things I often, well, it came to me, you know, a little aha many years ago, but one of the things I often talk about is that just about every personal problem or, or emotional issue seems to come down to fear. It's mm -hmm. a fear of change, a fear of you know, uh, rejection, a fear of uh, success, a fear of failure, a fear of, it, it's, there's a fear, yeah, uh, fear of hell, right? <laughs> or if I'm bad. Um, and and if, if we recognize that 
you know, like you're saying that it's all perception and that if we just know that everything is as it should be, which you also mentioned after it is what it is, everything is just as it's meant to be. And there's a bigger picture we may not understand, but there's really nothing to fear. Because what does fear do for us? Like being afraid, how does that, how does that help anybody being afraid? You can take action or you can accept it or you can choose to, you know, be positive and see things as an opportunity instead of being afraid. So I think that's where you really shine and you're, you know, the, if, if you all go out there and read this book, you're, it's, you know, you find lots of jewels, you know, little gems of ways to change your thinking in there. If you well, I've had a lot of people react to the book and say you could pretty much pull out the word Parkinson's and plug mm-hmm. in anything, um, any challenge, uh, any life event. And it's, it's really more about a book about life yeah. and how we approach life and uh, about how we can change how we approach life. And um, fear has nowhere to go. Um, fear isn't going to go away. Um, but uh, true courage is the ability to decide to step around that fear, mm-hmm. um, to work through it, to find ways to get past it. Um, but it's not going to go away. Um, there will always be things to be fearful of. Um, it has it has good purpose in life. Um, you know, thousands of years ago, when it was a saber toothed tiger that was chasing us, right. um, fear was appropriate. But nowadays, we live in a society where the fears are constantly bombarding us, um, and that also goes to um, the health of individuals. And again, when you're living in in um, having your body be susceptible to that level of stress um, does a lot of physical damage to you. And uh, so it's important to manage those, those thought patterns and uh, to manage your, your perspective on life. Yeah. And there's the, um, there's also the, as a spiritual person, and I, and I'm going to move into that next question with you. But there's also the idea that I like to talk about is that we, uh, you know, there's the, you know, the, we're the mind, body, and, you know, spirit. And there's the mind, which kind of runs how we feel about things. There's the physical body that responds to that mind. But then there's the spirit that is beyond both of those things. And you connect, you can kind of, you know, uh, connect a little bit through your mind if you allow your mind to, to go there. And having said that, I want to ask you now, I know that you, t- you touched on it in here, you kind of, uh, you are a shaman. Yes. And I, you talk about learning, a little, you, you kind of got into where it started here. Um, tell me about your experience with, uh, with the, um, the masseuse that was working on you, who was a shaman and healer. And how that kind of, you know, lit a light, and where did that lead you later? I also love the story about you sitting in the um, group of 12, and (laughs) how you thought she was, like, really intuitive to know your name, but you were the only man. So, (laughs) but go on, I want to hear your story um, leading us in there, and how, Um, how that all came about. 
shamanism is interesting because uh, and becoming a shaman um, that's something that I think uh, my belief in in past lives um, I believe that I was a shaman in a previous life and that knowledge and that knowing again um, that that cellular memory that exists within my DNA, um, I believe kicked in when I was given the diagnosis of Parkinson's. And as you said, from the very get-go, I had this positive feeling about it. And it was this overwhelming sense of, I've got this under control. This is not going to be a problem. Hmm. And, uh, but I didn't understand where that was coming from when I, when I first received the diagnosis, I was even questioning myself. It seems so strange that I'm not um, angry, I'm not depressed, I'm not scared. And uh, I wanted to know where that was coming from. And that's what led me to the writing. Um, the, the, originally it was a blog, which became the book. Um, the writing was really the purpose of writing myself letters. Um, and discovering my own feelings and my own thoughts and my own spirituality and how it was coming to play and dealing with this diagnosis. But I do believe that the shamanism and was already in play for me. Um, but I was working with um, a massage therapist who also happened to be a shaman at the time prior to my own becoming one. And uh, she and I used to have one-on-one spiritual-based conversations quite a bit, talking about life, talking about our perspective on life and what everything means. And uh, she knew of my fascination, and she said, what is it that you actually are looking for, and what is it that you want? And I said, well, I love the energy that takes place in the one-on-one conversations that we have. I said, but I'd love to experience what that is like with 12 people, with a large group, what is that energy like? When all the mindset is in that familiar um, area, what's that energy like? And she was the one that said, I think you ought to check out a shamanic um, program and see if, if that may be right for you. And it was perfect. Um, I went to the shamanic training, and um, uh, the interesting thing about it, about shamanism is uh, a shaman can't begin to help heal somebody else until they've learned to heal themselves. So there's a lot of healing that takes place. And um, what we do is we look at what we call the shadows within ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, We we look at the areas that um, everybody experiences emotional trauma, and all kinds of levels of hurt um, in going through life. And we have a tendency to stuff those down inside as opposed to truly dealing with them and coming to understanding with them and why they take place in in the universe and why they happen to us. Um, And that goes to that thought that everything does have a purpose and everything does have meaning. And even the, the... toughest challenges for you are for your purpose and to help you grow. Um, and that goes into some my own spiritual beliefs about our, our purpose as souls here. Um, I believe that we're all here to evolve, um, that our soul's purpose is to evolve and become higher 
levels of, of uh, spiritual beings. And the challenges and the tests that we take on in this lifetime are part of helping us get there. Um, but as a shaman, we help people deal with those traumas and those issues that, that for people that, that don't do well with understanding them or managing them. And oftentimes, a lot of those hurts and traumas manifest themselves into our daily lives and uh, can become problematic in being able to move forward. Um, and that's when challenges or struggles become um, something that hold us back and keep us from moving forward in life. Um, so shamanism has been just a, a godsend. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, has been a wonderful experience in my life. And um, I, th I do believe in my heart, everybody's a shaman in their own way. Um, they, everybody has their own ability to heal. Um, not only the um, outside aspects of our wellness, but I do believe wellness starts in here, in the mind and in the heart. And uh, um, there's a lot of healing that people can can bring to themselves by not only working with a shaman, but learning to um, look within themselves and, and find healing. So can you tell me, um, describe what a shaman is, and if there was a particular shamanistic school or, or group that you belong to. So how would, like for someone who doesn't know and they've only heard of shaman, like they think of somebody shaking the the rattle over them. Um, how how is that the same or different than say a therapist? And and what you know what would you describe? What would you say a shaman is? And what kind of shaman are you? Well, a shaman um, historically is a person within the community. Um, thousands and thousands of years ago, um, it was within a tribe, and uh, that person was. Uh, sought out or or um, showed uh, a different intuitive level of a connection with spirits. Um, a shaman uh, has the ability to um, travel to what we call an alternative reality, um, and that's a area of the spirit world where we can converse with spirits. Um, each person on this earth has a host of spirits available to them. Ancestral spirits, um, your past ancestors who have passed mm -hmm. on. You have divine spirits, uh, guardian angels, animal spirits. Um, and all these spirits are actually available for your help. But because God gave us free will, um, they're not allowed to intervene in our lives unless you ask them to. So um, a shaman uh, acts as an intervene between the spirit world and the human world, and uh, we converse with them, with the spirits. Um, they can provide information on um, healing for someone. Um, they're we deal with soul retrievals. Um, that's where, because of traumas that people go through, oftentimes you release a part of your soul. It's a protective mechanism um, because in 
for example, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. um, it can be too traumatic for the soul to actually experience. And so a part of the soul leaves the, the body and um, oftentimes that's not recovered. And people will say, I just don't feel like myself. Um, even the expression, you gave part of your soul away to someone in a relationship. <laughs> it's very true and it does happen. Um, and we can help get involved in, in healing of the soul for people. Um, so it's very, very spiritually based. Um, it's very much about um, your relationship with your spirits and helping you create a, a stronger bond um, that helps people um, deal with life. So what would, would your, uh, say someone came to you, for example, and, and was having some issue. Is it ceremonial when they come to you? Do you use a lot of ceremony? Uh, do you, um, are they an active participant? I, I, I'm, you know, curious as I've never uh, been to a shaman. Um, I'm very familiar with what you're talking, the, the things you're talking about. It can happen on a number of different levels. Um, I do take people on guided journeys. Um, okay meet their spirit animals or to meet their spirit guide. Um, At other times for something like a soul retrieval, um, that's done with the presence of the client, but the shaman is the one who does the journey for meeting the spirits on the other side um, to do, and pretty much call them dealings for Mm -hmm. um, retrieving aspects of the soul. Um, because oftentimes, even aspects of your soul loss may not want to return. Um, it can be because of self-abuse that that person was putting themselves through drug abuse or something of that nature. And elements of the soul can not want to return to that person, um, feeling insecure about returning. Um, so there's conversational aspects that take place. But to answer your question, um, it's quite ceremonial. Um, I will say it's consistent amongst shamans from Peru to shamans in America to across the world. Everybody practices the same techniques and uh, the same modes of, of healing. Um, it's, it's very much a ritualistic um, ceremony and procedure we do a lot of prayer offerings um and uh you had asked about schools um the school i went to was um in northern wisconsin and the shaman there who taught that class was trained by peruvian shamans okay Uh, so there are and they're they're more available than you you may you know come to think right away um, it's kind of like when you go out and buy a new car, you don't really realize how many people are driving that car until you buy one. <laughs> um, until you become a shaman, you don't really realize how many shamans there are out there. Um, but um, I'd highly recommend if any of your listeners um, are interested, um, not only in seeking out a shaman, but investigating uh, shamanism itself as a practice it is a life practice it's a belief it's rooted in the belief that everything of god's creation is connected energetically 
plants, animals, and humans. We're all connected energetically. And that everything deserves the same love and respect. And through that um, can come healing and can come a multitude of blessings for life. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I like that. And um, like I said, so many of the things you're commenting on, uh, as a hypnotherapist and as a transpersonal hypnotherapist, uh, my training was not just clinical but also spiritual. So there are processes that, um, that they tr can train us in. I do past life regression which may not necessarily just fall under clinical. And uh, one of my mentors is um, she does soul re you know, retrieval and, and probably a very similar um, way to, to kind of go help that person's mind, you know, open up to allow, you know, to allow the access to the uh, superconscious to, you know, open the door and reunite things. She also does soul releasement. And um, uh, spirit releasement, not soul releasement, spirit releasement when the wrong one's hanging on to you, <laughs> you know. And um, so it very, it's uh, a lot of um, overlap uh, with the more traditional, ancient uh, ways that people might call woo-woo. And, and on this show, I'm always talking about how just because it sounds woo-woo doesn't mean it's not real. You just don't understand it, right? So... And that's a good point. Um, oftentimes when I take people on journeys, their question will be, well, how do I know I'm not just imagining this? Yeah. And, uh, my answer is, does it seem real to you? Does, it, does the voice sound real to you? Then why do you choose in your mind to believe it's not real? Um, it, we oftentimes... Uh, tell people that what they need to most successfully um, work with a shaman is allow yourself to take your mind back to when you were a child. When you were a child, you were open to all possibilities. Mm -hmm. And the older we get, we, we bring in more and more um, rules or um, societal norms that say you can't think that way or you yeah. can't believe that. And we put so many restrictions on what's possible. And um, that, I think, is a, is a shame um, because the innocence of a child's mind, everything was possible. And um, it kind of explains why so many kids have their um, animal friends that are on their bed, their stuffed animals, and... and uh, we're real because animal friends. We <laughs> see the spirit animals, and they're connected with them, and they are real. But as parents, then we often say, "Oh, let's not talk about that, though, to anybody else." You know, <laughs> just we'll keep that between us. And again, it's it's a shame, you know, because uh, I think that needs to be nurtured. Um, and and there's a lot that can come from um, having a relationship with more beyond what we see right here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think um, our belief systems, and you even brought up a good point about the mind, body, and the spirit. Um, as a society, we put a lot of uh, attention on working with the mind, 
We have psychologists. Um, for, we put a lot of attention on working on the body with, with doctors. But yet, I find that the spiritual component um, isn't quite addressed with the same level of, of uh, attention and care. Um, and yet, the, the, the mind and the body are going to return to the earth. Um, the spirit's the one that's going to go on forever. Right. Um, that's where I want to put my time and effort, um, is the one that's going to go on forever. But I think, you know, that's where I, I maybe it's just because of the, the people I talk to or the things I want to read and pay attention to now, but I do think there is a shift. And I want to say it, there, it was here in the late 60s and 70s, and then it kind of got drowned out in the 80s, I think, and early 90s. But I think, again, there's a resurgence in interest and um, embracing that um, spiritual endeavors, the, the whole idea that there's something beyond what we see physically here. And you see that light changing, like I just <laughs> lean out of my, my halo showing. But um, <laughs> uh, yes, for the audio listeners, I'm getting a halo from the light changing in the room. Um, but that's where I think things like, you know, when I was growing up, I, I don't remember hearing about shamans unless it was some made-up story. But now I have friends who are shamans. You're a shaman. I, it's much more uh, – it's, it's spreading. And until before now, when you talk about spiritual help, the only – the closest thing to spiritual help was through the church. However, the church's tradition of what they called spirituality was within the rules of the church. Like we were talking about earlier, you have to follow these rules. I, and I told you earlier we were talking about it. I was raised Catholic, and that meant um, go, and if I was unkind to somebody or lost my temper, I go say five Hail Marys, you know, and I'm, I'm good to go. There wasn't really a con there, there was seldom a connection of how your behavior, your thoughts, or your actions tie into the bigger picture and, and those around you, and that whole spirituality was not addressed. So I, I think it's fantastic that there is a lot more talk, at least what I'm seeing, and, and people interested in becoming shamans or becoming people that are spiritually based, helping or available for people to go to. Yes. So that's exciting. I agree. Anyway, um, is there anything else? I, you know, I, I'm going to. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to. Um, I'll be putting a link. Is the, where? Where can people get this on Amazon? Or it's on Amazon, and uh, they can also uh, go to tremorsintheuniverse.com. There is okay. a website. Book. Um, but yeah, uh, and a portion of the proceeds are donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation and the National Parkinson Foundation as well. Good. And you're in the Chicago area, and you see clients? Yes, right? I do. So uh, how would they reach you? Um, they could look me up at uh, probably the best now is I've opened a wellness clinic in Barrington, Illinois. It's called givingbackmassage.com. We named it Giving Back Massage because not only the lovely play on the words, but uh, we donate back 10% uh, of every client's fee back into the community to charities that we uh, partnered with. 
again, that even brings in my shamanic belief that we have to, um, to totally achieve wellness in our lives. We have to be in harmony and good relationship with everything in the universe. That concludes the plants and the animals as well as humans. So we've partnered with an environmental uh, charity. We've partnered with a human services uh, charity, and we've partnered with an animal welfare charity to cover the three aspects of the connection that, that I believe in. That's great. Now, um, how long ago did you start that? Well, that uh, has been since my diagnosis of Parkinson's. Um, okay. I found that um, there was getting quite a following of other Parkinson's patients who wanted to know what I was doing and <laughs> wanted to know if they could implement uh, some strategies into their lives. And uh, so I started working with Parkinson's patients, and I had long had a strong belief that my own relationship with my uh, massage therapist played a key role in how well I've managed um, because for Parkinson's patients and in a lot of things in life, stress is is terrible in yeah. terms of the, what it does to the body. Um, and massage and mindset, to me, are the two areas that you can really reduce stress in your life. Yeah. Uh, so I went back to school and uh, received my uh, license in massage therapy and opened up the wellness clinic so I could work with Parkinson's patients. That then has since grown to working with cancer patients, MS patients, um, people with just dealing with various challenges in their life. And I bring in the shamanic aspect. Um, I do shamanic counseling. And uh, so probably givingbackmassage.com would be the best way for them to get in touch with me. And, and where is it actually located? What town? In Barrington, Illinois. All right, good. Um, and before I go, um, I think I've asked you all the questions I um, <laughs> wanted to ask, but as soon as I click off, I'll want to ask more, and I'll just call you. But what would you like, is there something in particular, like it, it, to whoever's listening, that you'd really just like people to know that if you had an opportunity to talk to them, which you do right now, something you really think everybody should listen to and pay attention to? Um, you're a perfect soul. You were made perfect. You're a gift from God. Um, life here is a challenge. It's a test. It's for the purpose of your growth. Um, but at the same time, you can learn to cherish that, even the challenges, um, that there are um, perspectives on life that can make it easier. Um, and trust is probably number one. I, I love the word faith. Um, not faith from a religious standpoint, you know, but faith that comes from having a belief system in your heart that gives you comfort and helps you go through this life. Find your faith. Find what you believe in. Um, follow your spirituality. Um, let it grow. Let it become you, and let it guide you. And when you find that, and that becomes your strength, and that becomes your faith, that can get you through a lot of things in life. It gives you a fresh perspective that you can bring to play anytime you're 
facing a challenge because there then comes that knowing and comes that sense of peace within. So I would simply say, um, believe, believe in who you are, believe in that you're a gift of God and that, that you have the capability to do this life. Beautiful. It's like you can do it, right? And you are doing it. So uh, I just want to, yeah, thank you for, uh, you know, being here for the interview. But also more than that, I think, thank you for what you're sharing with people. And I love that you're getting it out there. And, and really what a gift, what a gift your disease has turned out to be for your community, for other people. And instead of you sitting at home feeling sorry for yourself, you've created uh, information for other people, help for other people, and an outreach for other people, like you said, even beyond others with Parkinson's, other people that have challenges. And, you know, you turned into this little seed that sprouted all over the place in, instead of, you know, just a mound of dirt that you're, you know. So I, I'm really um, glad I know you and impressed uh, and your an inspiration. So I want to thank you and thank you for being here. And, and I'll have in the comments section, I'll have links um, to these different websites, to your book and all of that. So anyone, I really recommend that you find the book, read it. It's besides his positive, you know, Besides all the help he can give you with positivity and how to live life, it's also a wonderful read about his family, some of these like little stories about going back in time, his, his kids, his relationships with his um, whole family as he was going through this. And, and it's a, a great read. Uh, I really in, you know, enjoyed it and will enjoy getting through those last couple chapters that I cheated on before doing the interview. But I, I look forward to the, the next book. Thank you. Is that in the works? Um, it may be. It may be. Um, I'm a believer that things happen at the right time. Um, this was definitely a book that um, it, it needed to be written for me, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was a um, it was part of my healing. Yeah. And uh, uh, a call to answer. So. That's pretty much where my book came from, too, and it turned into a book. It was writing I was doing uh, for me and ended up in a book. So, uh, you know, things, things come down from the universe in funny ways, don't they? They do. But yeah. thank you very much for having me today. Um, uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you. You too. And I'd love to stay in touch. Well, we will, and um, I'm going to click on this. But I'll be back to say goodbye to you in person after I say goodbye to everybody. And thank you for being here for uh, my time with Robert Beatty. And I look forward to seeing you next time.